Hello. Happy almost a new year, pals. We can do it. I know effectively nothing changes when the calendar flips, but we're just going to have to do like a full mental shift, right? We're leaving this year behind. We're moving forward. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know what? I do want to say this. My favorite LeBron is wine LeBron. I am obsessed with this huge man swirling like a delicate Merlot. It gives me so much life and the idea of just like Bryce doing an impression of him. Put it in my veins. Um, also, are you guys watching season two of Virgin River? I started it, but then I started laughing at one point that was serious. And I knew that season one was just as bad, except it did so well. Netflix was like, here's a budget for external shots and other locales to eat. But I just couldn't get into it like season one. Um, so if, if it's better than I think it is, maybe let me know. I don't know. Also, do you guys ever stalk an actor, actor on Instagram and then realize you shouldn't have done it because it kind of ruins it for you? Just me on this recorded medium? Very cool. Also obsessed with, I'm just saying a lot of really quick things on this intro because I've got some, some fun things, but I just, they're not that important. But I'm obsessed with Sarah Fuller being the first woman to score a point in a football game in a Power 5 conference. OMG, I, I cannot stop watching the clip um, because she's treated just like everyone else on that team. They're all just like slapping her helmet, you know, rattling her brain around just like everyone else is on that team. So cool. Would it be cooler if Vandy wasn't 0 and 8? Absolutely, but that's not on her. That's just on Vanderbilt being Vanderbilt. Um, what are we going to talk about this week that I have actual details on? I watched some stuff on HBO, definitely going to talk about that, and on Amazon Prime. Um, what else? They're kind of spooky. Um, a lot of new music that I'm going to talk about. I'm obviously going to talk about Tom Cruise yelling. Not a lot of details there, but I definitely wanted to cover it. Also going to talk about Shia LaBeouf. Yikes, man. Big yikes. Also some uh, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Uh, never let it die and what is happening on the Royal Housewives of Potomac I am not caught up with what is live but wow a lot going on there okay so with all of that being said quite a bit let's catch up okay my first story when I initially wrote down uh, what we were going to talk about it didn't seem like there were a lot of details about it but apparently some more have developed um, and I'm talking about Tom Cruise which isn't my favorite topic, but he's been yelling, so I guess I'm going to talk about it. Um, Y'all will have to look up the audio. I do apologize for that. It's been leaked. I think it was the UK Sun that initially linked it, but if you just search like Tom Cruise yelling, it'll it'll pull up. You'll be it'll be easy enough. Um, but Tom Cruise is filming Mission Impossible Seven seven apparently which is a completely separate conversation we should have as a society do we need seven of them uh it started filming earlier this year was obviously halted due to the initial wave of us taking covid seriously and now has resumed production with intense safety precautions including tom cruise apparently spending um a reported seven hundred thousand dollars to house cast and crew on a cruise ship so they could quarantine um, which is crazy, but it's like his own money, I guess, that he decided to shell out so that people would be safe. And then someone broke the rules, which is not okay. It's dangerous, puts people at risk. I understand why he was angry, but we do not yell at people, especially if you're a movie star. 
So this audio is leaked of Tom Cruise screaming at someone on set. Um, I assume it was a crew member who broke the rules. I'm not even sure to what extent they broke like the protocols they had set up. Um, I, again, I understand it is dangerous. You put people at risk. And as he says, while he's yelling at this person, you put people's lives at risk. You put people's livelihoods at risk. This industry specifically is struggling. Uh, you know, this production gave thousands of people jobs. Like he says that it's important within the context of this industry, you know? So I totally understand his frustration. He goes on to yell that he's on the phone with insurance companies and production studios every night. He sounds very stressed. I'm actually starting to wonder if he has too much power within this film. Like the fact that he had like all this money to put out and then like he's on the phone with all these production companies. I'm like, he needs, he needs to do something where he's like not in charge, I guess. But um, again, he sounds stressed, but we still do not yell at people especially in what clearly was a public enough space so like other people were around while he was yelling at this person because someone recorded it and released it but this totally checks out with his attitude thank god katie and uh nicole left him uh additionally it would appear that he yelled at the cast and crew again this week and then five people quit and walked off set so despite fighting for the right thing, he's clearly doing it in the wrong way. Guess they don't teach you how to be an effective communicator in Scientology. Okay, so I want to talk about this thing, but definite trigger warning for like any sort of like domestic violence, abuse, all of it. Um, I would like skip ahead like two minutes. That's me overshooting. So you'll probably jump right into Netflix or something. Um, FKA Twigs and Shia LaBeouf. Yikes. Um, so we have to start by acknowledging that I was never on the Shia train, if you guys remember. And then we all saw that video of him getting tested for COVID. And I was like, guys, I'm in. I get it. <laughs> Ready to go. And it turns out uh, he was allegedly an abusive partner. So... Sigh. Guess I'm off the train now. Um, earlier this month, FKA Twigs, also an ex of Robert Pattinson, fun fact, filed a lawsuit against Shia saying he was abusive to her over the course of their year-long relationship and that another partner alleges the same. The other partner was not named in the suit, I don't think. Or maybe we just like don't know who it is. But she tells a couple stories within uh, the the process um and one of them within the lawsuit and one of them is that uh she was driving a car or he was driving the car rather with her in it and he threatened to crash the car if she didn't say that she loved him which is obviously terrifying she says in the lawsuit it was mental physical and emotional abuse in totality sia who we know i'm mad at currently tweeted that he conned her into being an abusive and or being in an adulterous relationship and to be honest i'm not fully sure what that means but she also called him a pathological liar which i do know what that means also i didn't know that shia and sia dated and it feels like their names are too close um but obviously he has had quite the history, small little misdemeanors when he was younger to like the outbursts and the public meltdowns, for lack of a better word, that he has gone on to say stemmed from years of trauma and PTSD, which like, I don't think any of us can argue with that. Those things are definitely connected. But like, at what point does someone who like acknowledges anger and alcoholism, like impacting his life, 
when it impacts others like at what point does he remove himself from the public eye you know what I mean like it leads you to believe that he's not really apologetic in my opinion it leads me to believe I shouldn't say it leads you to believe it leads me to believe that he's not really apologetic he hasn't explicitly apologized either he like issued some sort of vague statement his emotions in his life are obviously a roller coaster he will like yell at strangers in public and then a year later be on Jimmy Kimmel promoting peanut butter falcon so like I I don't know. It's sad, obviously. We believe women here. I'm not sure what she wants the outcome of this lawsuit to be. Like, is it a monetary settlement that you get out of suing someone for abuse? Or is it just like the publicity of the moment so people are aware? Like, I don't know. But I hope that this is healing for her in some form or fashion. Okay, last story is not... Um, anything particularly exciting but I just figured it was interesting because Netflix so rarely releases like statistics or anything like that about what we are watching so I understand that this like in some ways might be in the wrong category of this episode but it's the last episode of 2020 so I'm, I'm off the leash I'm going rogue um and to be completely honest, I have no idea what's happening with Kristen Cavallari. And if I did, that would be the third story of this episode. But I like cannot even figure it out because there's just so much going on. So I cannot manage to discuss it. But um, let's just start with some random things that Netflix informed us about what we watched. So um, twice as many documentaries as reality shows this year, which I just feel like they're referring to Tiger King. But I don't know. Apparently, we all watched Love is Blind and Too Hot to Handle which Love is Blind totally makes sense. That was like pre-pandemic. That was one of the last things that I ever like gathered together to watch with people before everything shut down. We were all watching it. Too Hot to Handle was depressing, as I remember. Um, twice as much romance as normal, which Netflix attributed to things like Kissing Booth 2 and, and the second um, to All the Boys I Loved Before, which apparent, um, What's-Her-Face is doing press for the, the third one. So it must be coming out soon. That's exciting. Um, there was also an uptick in comedies from March to April, which surprises me 0%. We were still searching for joy then. Um, also a lot of baking shows, which I think is sweet. And, um, there was an interesting uptick. I mean, I guess you could call it interesting, but we all know why, because of George Floyd's murder and social justice in May and June, which you were, if you were on Instagram, you know, plenty of people were recommending 13th by Ava and um, it apparently increased in viewership on Netflix 5,000%. I'm not lying. It's not like me misspeaking. 5,000%. So I hope y'all hate cash bail as much as me now. But along with 13th, people were watching the documentaries about the 1992 LA riots and the Khalif Browder story. And um, Netflix listed out all of these things. And my favorite. <laughs> My favorite part of the like social justice Netflix black stories are important percentages was all of these like documentary series stories and then people were watching Dear White People, which I personally love. I think it's a great show, but it's not a documentary, but I'm obsessed with the idea of some like well-intentioned white woman like who just finished White Fragility sitting down and being like, Dear White People, well, this is this is clearly for me and then starting that show and being like, huh? Because if you haven't watched it, it, uh, first of all, I think it's 
begins like with an explicit scene which is on brand for Netflix but it's just like young adults in college being like hot and also passionate about like racism and justice like I said I love it I'm very excited for season four but it's not quite 13th you know Ava didn't produce it um what else oh do y'all remember the Aaron Hernandez documentary that was this year (laughs) um it was a top documentary apparently uh, some other things we apparently loved are Nailed It, duh, Kevin Hart's little docu-series thing, the Jingle Jangle movie that I couldn't finish, sue me, um, oh my god, you know what I did finish though? The Prom, which I meant to tell y'all, I meant to say it in, um, in my, what we're watching, but it was actually quite good, I just love Andrew Rannells, I told y'all I'm off the, I'm off the rails this episode, I just love Andrew Rannells. He was great. It wasn't nearly as predictable as I thought it would be. So I would genuinely recommend it. It has a lot of really great people in it. Andrew Rannells, Meryl Streep, James Corden, which I don't know. He just like, he seems so busy. Nicole Kidman also seems so busy. Like people working so hard. Um, Keegan-Michael Key, Carrie Washington is in it. Um, and I think it's Ariana, I don't know if it's Ariana or Ariana DeBose, who was the bullet in Hamilton, like really loving this, this uh, career progression for her, but um, totally not the right segment, but you guys should watch it, it's really good, I feel like if it had come out earlier in the year, it'd probably be on the Netflix, you know, top musicals, I don't know, category or something like that, but it was good, but isn't that interesting that we all just like watch Nailed It, Tiger King, and the Aaron Hernandez documentary, and expect to be okay? My first question is, is, is for myself. Uh, it's for me because I, I need to know why I'm spending so much emotional energy on Gleb. (laughs) I don't know if it's because we watched Chriselle's divorce play out on Selling Sunset and now she's in a relationship with Keo, also of Dancing with the Stars fame. They're in Mexico on a couple's trip with Gleb and his new girlfriend, Yes, he does have a new girlfriend after divorcing his wife of 14 years and being rumored to be with his dance partner. And I I just, there's just a lot going on. His ex-wife just did like an Instagram live or something where she was like making pancakes, but was also like, you know, how do you trust someone when they cheat on you? It's just like a lot is happening. Also, you won't believe who Gleb's new girlfriend is because I didn't. It's Cassie Serbo. Uh, who is that, Megan? Well, if you enjoyed the freeform, formerly ABC Family teen drama, Make It or Break It, you'll recognize her. Not really, because her face is a little different, as the mean girl from that show. I have no idea how her and Gleb met. If they're happy, that's great, and genuinely all that matters. The Venn diagram of things I've consumed in my time as a pop culture aficionado that exists within their vacation is shocking. Bring it on. The fourth one, obviously, with Cassie. Dancing with the Stars. Selling Sunset. I mean, technically, in some ways, this is us. It's an absolute whirlwind. We will see how it shakes out. But also, Chriselle implied that she was in Mexico for work. And I just refuse to ask a question about the Mexican real estate market. But I really need to remove myself from Gleb, I think. I need Gleb removed from me. Okay, my second question this week, what is going on with the Real Housewives of Potomac? 
Um, I'm not even remotely caught up on Potomac. I'm literally seasons behind, but I had to discuss what happened here because I believe it to be an iconic moment for the franchise. Okay, there's a lot of iconic moments. Uh, we're talking Bethany yelling to Kelly, go to sleep. We're talking about pretty much everything Nene said or did. Um, anytime, well, when Ramona tried to sell that jewelry, that was iconically sad. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Potomac is chock full of drama always. Those two women quite literally got into a physical altercation. But uh, this one, Office Max is beaming with pride, I'm sure. Not going to get too into the weeds, not going to get fully into the details, because like I said, I'm not even caught up. But this past week, Real Housewives of Potomac had their reunion. And if you're not familiar with the Housewives, they always gather in like a palatial room, far too large for what they're doing, with like insane acoustics. Um, they get there in like the middle of the night. They're all doing like hair and makeup backstage. Andy Cohen sits on a throne in between all of them and they yell at each other about how they have already yelled at each other. It's truly a, a microcosm of society. Uh, now, the Potomac women came in color-coordinated, which I love, but in yellow, which I love less, and they have a lot of drama. But the primary reason I want to ask what's happening is, again, this powerful moment. Monique Samuels, a housewife, pulled out a binder and said that she had receipts. She physically pulled out a binder? Now, the internet has noted that this binder does come in a pack of two, leading everyone to believe that there is more uh, information available to us. She pulled out the binder in regards to another cast member, Giselle's ex-husband, Pastor Jamal Bryant. Um, what she said and the receipts that she had were in reference to this man cheating and that he is a cheater. It's wrong, but people do it. But a binder full of receipts? But now keep in mind, Monique is the one who was in a literal physical altercation with another cast member and like they, the law was brought into it, but it's fine. The first thing she had Giselle do was confirm this man's phone number, which is shocking, like she was on the witness stand. Also, could you imagine knowing someone's phone number in 2020? Blessings. Then she proceeded to read text messages from the pastor and other women. How did she acquire these? The power the housewives hold is truly otherworldly. Okay, so the other thing is then Giselle tried to do, you know that thing when you're watching the housewives and one of them goes like, 10 out of 10 crushes it brings a binder has evidence and then the other one in rebuttal instead of what you should do which is the real power move of staying st silent and just looking at Andy like next topic she proceeded to like try and question like Monique's like relationships and say that like her family isn't any better and it's like no 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 shh, shh you've been bindered Okay, things that we are paying attention to this week. Um, this one's kind of weird and also like very niche, but I just feel good about it specifically. And then I promise I'm going to get to it generally. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that a lot of like creatives and very talented writers have started asking that we subscribe to their newsletter. And the first few I saw, I was like, absolutely not. I already get emails from Old Navy to all of my email addresses somehow. Why would I want to read a newsletter? And then the beloved Hunter Harris announced that she was launching one and for 50 United States dollars or less if you email her because she's kind and reasonable like that, you, you can subscribe to her newsletter. I think it's for a year. 
I'm not sure, but I'm obnoxious and I have never had my name out on a brick, so when I signed up I most definitely checked the founding member box and I felt special. Guys, I will say, I think she's only sent three at this point. It is worth it. Okay. Hunter's previously worked at Vulture and she's an incredible culture writer and she has her finger on the pulse and she also has her finger like off to the side on a pulse that really none of us saw coming. Who told me Rihanna and Asaparaki were dating? Hunter. Who is convinced that Leonardo DiCaprio is devastated by this news and will constantly be seeking Rihanna's attention in every move that he makes? Hunter. Guys, she's just the funniest. She's brilliant. She consumes so much culture. Obviously, I'm highly encouraging you to to subscribe to her newsletter, but if there is another writer that you love or have always followed and they've recently launched a newsletter, I think you should subscribe. Told you I was going to pull it in generally. Just do it. Ask for it as your holiday gift. It's worth the giggles and just make sure you send it to the email address that you applied to colleges for that has the least amount of Olive Garden promotional emails in it. Okay, new music this week, huh? Obviously Evermore, which... I'm just going to talk about really quickly off the top, guys. I did not enjoy it as much as Folklore. Felt like the B-sides. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it felt like all the songs on this album and all the songs on Folklore were written and worked out together. And then the best of the bunch made it to Folklore. And then she spontaneously decided to release Evermore, even though maybe it shouldn't have been released right away. But it's fine. No one asked me. Um, I will say everyone is obsessed with No Body, No Crime. I think everyone knows that we love Haim on this podcast. I wish the song had more Haim, okay? I wish it had more of the gals, uh, but I still enjoyed it. The thing about Taylor Swift that, that has always gotten me is that like in No Body, No Crime, this like song that's like catchy, it's got a hook. The kids are already using it on TikTok, which I will bring up again in a moment. Taylor Swift writes words that are like, good thing my daddy made me get a boating license when I was 15. Just like, okay, like I get what that implies, but it's weird that you even brought it up. <laughs> anyway, um, what I have enjoyed less than No Body, No Crime are the theories on TikTok uh, where the children have said that Harry Styles and Taylor Swift committed vehicular manslaughter together in 2015 and there's a chance that their songs are linked together as evidence. I cannot understand this. The kids are making PowerPoints, which I also think is interesting that they still know how to make PowerPoints. Should I be shocked by that? I don't know. But the kids need to be let out of the house, okay? It's absolutely absurd. Reason number one, it's absurd. Blonde country women love to write songs about killing their husbands, and we love to listen to them. So I don't think Nobody, No Crime is an admission. Uh, Nobody, No Crime, Goodbye Earl, Two Black Cadillacs, Gunpowder and Lead, all of them. Love them all. Additionally, I don't understand in what world tiny little 2013 Harry and his skinny little scarves and Taylor Swift, who I can only assume never had done anything for herself at that time, were just driving around with no security or anyone around in another car, hit a person, allegedly, y'all know I get nervous, even though I'm saying I don't think it happened, I'm just like, you know, allegedly, no one saw, heard anything, they dragged the body and buried it, and no evidence ever pointed back to them? Celebrities get away with a lot, but not murder cuts eyes to OJ. So I don't know what that's all about, but I am nervous every time the children talk about it. Um, oh, I liked Willow and Long Story Short as well as Nobody, No Crime. Moving on, Kid Cudi has a new album. Britney Spears released a whole new album. I have not gotten into it yet, uh, but who's making money off of it? Sorry, had to ask. 
Uh, Miley Cyrus released that album Plastic Hearts at the end of November and I just got a chance to listen to it. Bangers is my favorite Miley album. Sue me. It's definitely associated with college memories, but that's what music is, right? You know, like associating with memories. Not going to get too deep, but I thought it was good. It's just funny to me how sometimes when I listen to her, I hear Hannah Montana. (laughs) Like, don't tell her I said that because I think she'd hate that. But I kind of mean it as a compliment in the sense that, like, her voice has evolved, but it's still genuinely her. Like, you know. Um, It clearly didn't get much fanfare. Or maybe I don't spend time with the right people considering it came out a couple weeks ago and all anyone talked about was her commenting on TikToks. um, And not whether or not any of the music beyond the singles were any good. Uh, Moving from an enjoyable album to people keeping one another captive. Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello released a Christmas song. Mariah Carey, They Are Not. Um, I was very excited about the Troy Sivan and Casey Musgrave song with Mark Ronson called Easy. I will say, I think I'd enjoy the song more if we could listen to it in public. You know, like listening to this song in my bed before I go to sleep ain't it. But if you were like just in a bar with your friends and this song came on, you'd all be yelling, you made it easy and it'd be fun. And now I'm getting like weirdly emotional remembering like what it was like to be out and be social. But I love them both. I love Troy's TikTok as well. Also, you know, Casey loves the chance to sing the word darling and we love to hear it. Um, Also, Amine has a new album. He's absolutely my guilty pleasure. Like, I don't think anyone would expect me to be obsessed with him, but good for you. His 2017 album is like one of my favorite albums ever. True story. Um, I think over time, this one will grow on me, but also Gwen Stefani released that song entitled Let Me Reintroduce Myself. So I guess Blake's really cheering her on. Okay, last thing that we're watching this week. If you like spooky things, I've got some good stuff for you this week. Um, it still is spooky season. Until we're until we're all vaccinated, it's spooky season. Um, first up is the wilds. Also, don't bring me any of your vaccine theories. Unless you are a, a literal medical professional. I can't take it. I'm just like not smart enough to question doctors. You know what I mean? whatever ah back to spooky things the wilds on amazon prime video this was just randomly on the app when i clicked on it the other day to watch a show that i won't admit to watching on this recorded medium and it looked intriguing and betches or someone posted like a paid partnership with them that made it sound like a reality show where a bunch of high schoolers get put on an island and have to make it out survivor style and because i'm not a good person i was like that sounds great i love a reality competition that's not what this is um, at all. It's not reality. It's not a competition. It's so dramatic. These girls are put on a private plane to fly to Hawaii to go to like a young women's retreat. And they're all, you know, dealing with their problems. The plane crashes. They're trapped on this island. I'm not going to get too into the weeds because I don't want to spoil anything. But I will say that the episodes are long. They're like what would be like an hour long show on TV. It's like 47 minutes. And because they're in the wilderness, sometimes it's just moments of them like walking in silence, which is long. But I think it's interesting. Nonetheless, it's something new. It's something different, not to be terrible, but it is something worse than COVID. Uh, So I I don't know, I haven't finished it. I've watched two. I'm on episode three, I think. Um, You you get like, looped into what's going on pretty quickly but I it'll be interesting to see how it evolves uh next spooky thing is actually real and on a completely different note than the wilds it's murder on middle beach on hbo 
I feel like that should be pronounced murder on Middle Beach. I was saying it like Middle Beach, like that's one word, but they're two. Um, I feel like, feel like I saw a bunch of bloggers post about watching it and I was finally like, what? What is it? And I turned it on and I was hooked. Great news. It's only four episodes. Bad news is it could probably be 10 and I already need a follow up. The story being told is of a woman who was murdered in Middle Beach, Connecticut 10 years ago, and the documentary is made over the course of seven years by her now adult son. It is nothing like I've ever seen before. At one point, he literally asks his sister if she killed their mom. He asks everybody, but you know, it's crazy to ask your sister. Absolutely fascinating um, because the murder is unsolved. I feel like I did not say that. That's important. They don't know who killed her. Um, he reiterates a lot that the purpose of the documentary is not so much to find the murderer because it remains unsolved, but more so to get to the bottom of like who his mother was in the life that she led that he knew nothing about. Like I said, fascinating. Um, the His father was the CEO of Southern Electric before he was fired for, you know, whatever like CEOs get fired for overseas money stuff. Um but then his parents entered into a contentious divorce so that obviously, you know, he becomes a suspect. It's a wild story. I would say 10 out of 10, watch it. It isn't a final story. So you're not going to finish it up and be like, okay, well, we've tied up all these loose ends and pretty little bows and we're good to go. Like you're going to leave asking so many questions. I'm looking for answers from the entire police department. It's just, it's all over the place. It's obviously a horrible story because it has remained unsolved. It's literally like, this murder in this town that for 10 years they haven't been able to get any answers I think the police didn't do a good job but this was literally like the second homicide the department had seen in a century or something like that so maybe they could have called in for some backup but it's great like I said murder on middle beach it's on HBO I'm not sure if I mentioned that but it's like four episodes and the kid who's running the documentary he's not a kid anymore he started it when he was in school at SCAD and they were like oh, you, are you back up from Georgia? And then like, because I'm such a simpleton, I'm immediately like, we're, we're bonded. We, we know one another. He went to scat. He's like far more talented than me. But for a moment, I thought that maybe we had something in common. I mean, I figured he went to like Emory or something, but you know, state-wise common. Well, guys, we made it. Thank you for making it this far in this podcast, in this episode, in this year. Okay? You did great. I'm obsessed with people that keep... I know I keep saying I'm obsessed with things. I gotta work on that. Like, I need a better level of gauging, like, how much I enjoy something. I just can't say I'm obsessed with everything, like a character on the CW. But, anyway, I have thoroughly enjoyed the people who keep posting the meme that's like, soon people will post all they've accomplished in 2020. And, like, maybe I'll follow the wrong people, but I haven't seen anyone post anything about what they've accomplished. I've just seen everyone post that same quote about, like, be kind to yourself. You've carried yourself through a pandemic. Like, just so y'all know, this podcast is a safe place for people who have, like, either accomplished things or not accomplished things and are just happy to be here, you know? We're just going to talk about The Real Housewives. We're just going to talk about what we watched on Netflix. And we're going to eat ourselves a donut and be happy doing it. Happy New Year. Okay. Also, really quickly, did y'all see Kimberly put her elf on a shelf elves in quarantine because she's tired of moving them around? I am obsessed with that, I will say. It's like me as a mother. She's, she did it on like the 12th or 13th too, and it's genius because she put them in quarantine for 10 days and literally was like, North Saint 
chai like latte and psalm she was like the elves have covid and we must be quarantined so they're all in glass jars for 10 days and she like i said she put them in there for like the 12th or the 13th and it's genius because when they get out of quarantine um then she only has to move them like two more times iconic there's a reason that she's legendary and that she's an icon in our country um (laughs) but uh i guess i need to go listen to the britney album and probably restart new girl um britney just makes me so nervous guys i also want to watch that netflix after party thing that i'm a little confused about because i thought it was a talk show that david spade was hosting with netflix stars but it looks like it's only one long episode which makes me sad because i don't want to get attached not to David Spade, obviously, I wouldn't get attached to him, but the concept. Um, but yeah, with all that being said, um, I'll be back in the new year. I apologize for never properly giving a warning when I'm taking a break, but obviously for the holidays, um, I'll be back the first week of January, days after Matt James Bachelor premiere. So enjoy your holidays, everyone. Thanks for catching up.